Good morning. Uh, if we haven't met before, uh, my name is Justin, and uh, hopefully, God willing, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, I will be one of your pastors. Uh, it's somewhat hard not to see this morning, you know, as a bit of a test, as you guys might be sitting here thinking this morning, you know, do we really want this guy to be our pastor, uh, one of our pastors? Um, you know, just to clarify, that, that is a joke. Uh, I'm, don't care what you think. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but when God's word uh, is opened and preached, uh, I hope you're thinking uh, nothing of the preacher uh, and everything of our Lord Jesus. Uh, he is our hope and our joy, our greatest treasure, our true shepherd. And as we will see this morning, in him alone, uh, all the riches of the glory of the gospel and all the riches of full assurance and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, we're continuing our series this morning, Planted, Thriving Together in Christ. And we're considering what it looks like for us as a church to bear fruit as we are connected to our vine, Jesus. And as we take a look at a passage in Colossians, we will see that we are to bear the fruit of maturity, that we are to be a church, a people that is marked by maturity. So let's read Colossians 1, 24 to 2.15. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to it and it'll be good to keep it open as God speaks to us through it today. Colossians chapter 1, reading from verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. 
In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, only by your Holy Spirit can we know and trust and treasure your Son, Jesus. And only by your Holy Spirit can we rightly understand your word which reveals your Son to us. So please, would you send your Spirit amongst us in full measure this morning. That by your grace and mercy, he would help us to see our Saviour more clearly. And that we would love him more dearly and that we would be changed more and more into his image so that we might bear the fruit of maturity. For Christ's sake, do we ask these things. Amen. Uh, Now, it's possible that you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering why we would consider maturity to be one of these five key things that would mark us as the people of God who are thriving together in Christ. You might just be thinking, uh, Justin, isn't it childlike faith that saves us? Didn't the thief on the cross uh, enter into paradise with Jesus without knowing a single thing other than that Jesus suffered unjustly? Isn't it enough that I believe Jesus died for my sins and that you know, I don't need to worry about all that theology stuff? We are justified by faith, Right? Can't I just leave the rest uh, to you pastor folks who are more serious? And I would be somewhat inclined to agree with you. One of the most precious truths of the Christian faith is that we are saved because of a simple, sincere, pure, childlike trust in the work of our Lord Jesus to save us from the coming wrath of God. There is absolutely nothing else that is needed. It is entirely by God's grace that saves us through faith. But true faith is faith that will bear fruit. It will actually change us. I'm utterly convinced by what the Bible has to say about the nature of faith, that if the thief on the cross you know, had somehow miraculously survived, his simple faith would continue to grow and deepen and mature as he grew in his knowledge of God's mystery. And I believe we see this truth uh, right here in this passage from Colossians. In what can be uh, quite a confusing verse, upon a close look, we can see that growing up into our maturity in our faith, the Apostle Paul actually considered to be not just necessary, but that he would even say that it is the thing that is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Look with me to verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, 
that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. It's quite a striking way to say it, isn't it? But Paul is not saying that Christ's death was not sufficient to save. No, he is saying that what Christ has fully accomplished, his atoning death to save his people from their sin, is yet to be brought to its full conclusion. What is lacking still is for all those for whom Christ died to have the word of God made fully known to them. Our salvation has been fully accomplished for us, finally won for us, and it is now still in the ongoing process of being applied to us. This, I think, gets to the very heart of our great need for maturity. Because Paul isn't saying, uh, you know, oh yeah, I guess, you know, if some feel like they can, you know, grow up into maturity, then you should go ahead for it. No, he is saying that he rejoices in his immense sufferings to see Christ's people grow. It is his great struggle that he has for the church at Colossae and Laodicea, and indeed for every church, even the ones whom he has never met. Even, although he had you know, zero awareness, probably no comprehension that there would one day be a Baptist church here in Gosnells, Paul suffered and struggled for us, friends. Indeed, his very ministry was entrusted to him by God for that purpose. Paul says that the afflictions of Christ are lacking and they need to be filled up for the sake of the church. Paul, as he is a part of the church, which is the body of Christ, considers it a non-negotiable to suffer for the sake of the church so that he might present everyone mature in Christ. And so growing up into maturity is not an optional add-on for the Christian life. Any more than it's optional for Zara, my two-year-old, to turn three next month and four next year and five the year after that. Maturity is a key part of God's saving work which is unfolding in human history, even to this very day and to this very church. But what we will find is that maturity is something of a, a narrow road for us to travel, with uh, two dangerous ditches, actually, on either side that will halt us or even have the potential to completely ruin us. On the one side, you have what Paul calls philosophy and empty deceit that might take us captive or plausible arguments that might delude us. He warns about this uh, very clearly in our passage. And the ditch on the other side, which is, I think, something more implicit, is pride and arrogance. So what I want to help us see this morning is two key realities of the fruit of maturity. The first is that the gospel must deeply inform our reality if we are to mature in Christ. And the second is that maturity is actually to live in wholehearted devotion to Christ. So firstly, it is the gospel 
that must deeply inform our reality if we are to mature in Christ. Uh, We live in an age, don't we, where information is the most highly prized commodity. Uh, It's not the tallest or the strongest warrior who is granted to be king or the nation that has, you know, the biggest army who will uh, be the world rulers, Uh, but it's the ones actually that know the most and can lord it over others. I think a clear example of this is World War II, right? America and its allies didn't win because they had the most muscle power, but because they figured out how to build that weapon of mass destruction before any of their enemies did. Knowledge and information leading to technology is what actually won the war. Or today, the most influential, whether it be uh, on the news or in social media, is those who are in the know, who have the latest spin on world affairs or whoever has the newest TikTok dance or the latest way of making bread. Believe it or not, I do actually remember the days where you had to use a physical dictionary or an encyclopedia uh, to find something out. And, you know, when Ask Jeeves came on the scene, it was, gr- it was groundbreaking, wasn't it? You're like, this is amazing. And now you don't even have to type something into Google, but you can just ask Siri to tell you something uh, that you need to know. Even the, you know, the developments of AI is you know, wonderful, but as, scaring, as, as scary as those are as well. All throughout human history, we've been running this rat race for the latest information. But here we have Paul saying that we actually need to be really careful about the ideas we pursue and the beliefs that we allow to shape our hearts and minds and our lives. What does Paul say that will bring us to maturity in Christ? Well, it's in fact Christ himself, isn't it? Look at, with me to verse 28. Him, that is Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So did you know that it's not actually even your Bible, uh, knowing your Bible better, that matures you? But rather it is knowing Jesus more deeply that will bring us to maturity, friends. Don't get me wrong, you know, how else are we supposed to know Jesus more deeply apart from his word? Uh, As Paul says just a couple of verses earlier, you know, the stewardship from God that was given to him was indeed to make the word of God fully known to make fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. So I think it's more appropriate for us to say that it's not the Bible alone that brings us to maturity in Christ, but it is Christ himself as we behold him in his word. It is in the gospel, which is the proclamation of the person and work of our Lord Jesus that that works in us to shape us and to grow us into maturity. Indeed, it is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God to reveal to us the Son of God that makes us more like Him. Which means that what we believe actually matters. And it means that we ought to be shaped by the gospel far more deeply than any other piece of information 
that we might consume. I think the rubber hits the road for us, uh, particularly as we watch the nightly news or as we're scrolling through our social media. There are some very compelling voices out there, aren't there? They can present arguments in a plausible manner, like Paul says. But if we allow them to shape us more deeply than the gospel, then we are actually immature. If we allow them to shape us more deeply than the gospel, then we are actually immature. But maybe it isn't the news that takes us captive. Maybe it's actually the philosophy of the day. There are several of them, but perhaps no, uh, none so quietly destructive to our faith as materialism. How often do we succumb to the belief that if I can just get enough stuff, if I can just have the latest phone, if I can just dress in that certain way, or if I can just get that property with that house, if I can just drive that car, then I'll be content. You might not actually believe that to be true, but sure enough, it's so often that functioning reality for us because we have not chosen to set our hearts and our minds on the things above where Christ is and to strive towards being shaped by the gospel more than we are by the things of the world. And in case we think that we've avoided you know, this particular ditch on the path to maturity, there are unfortunately even versions of so-called Christianity that will do the very same thing. Keeping people trapped in immaturity because they do not emphasize the glory of God in the gospel of his son. There are far too many YouTube preachers and keyboard warriors these days that twist God's word to push their own agendas, whether it be political or otherwise. But do you see what Paul calls it? He says that it's empty deceit, that these things there are actually devoid of spiritual value. Like a really bad used car salesman, there are preachers out there that sell us all kinds of lies that are actually set against Christ and that we must be actively on guard against to see that we are not taken captive by it. Whether it be an overemphasis on how to live your best life now or on the affairs of world politics in the Middle East, or even having an unhealthy suspicion about everything. We will have been taken captive by plausible arguments and philosophy that is actually empty deceit, that Paul actually says are according to the elemental spirits of the world, according to human tradition. We would have been taken captive by them if we have a greater concern for those things than we do for the one in whom are hidden all the uh, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But the good news is, is that we have a far greater hope to look to, don't we? A far greater source of wisdom, a far greater joy on offer to us in the gospel. Do you notice how Paul describes it in verse 
27, to his saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Instead of submitting your life to empty deceit, the God of heaven and earth is offering to take up residence in us and to dwell among us and to lavish on us the riches of his glory. Riches, which he describes in chapter 2 as the riches of full assurance and of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Do you see that there is actually deep assurance and joy to be found in the knowledge of Christ in the gospel? As we know him more and more and we see more clearly the depths of his grace towards us, as we are deeply shaped by his saving work, we get to live with a deeper sense of hope and life and joy. And we are made more mature. Which means we don't, as Paul describes it in Ephesians 4, we don't get tossed to and fro by every wind of what he says here is empty deceit. And the work which Christ died for, to see that it would take place in you, will take place. The gospel reveals to us our Lord Jesus and his glorious treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And it must deeply conform our reality if we are to mature in Christ. Because if we don't, we will run ourselves off the path of maturity into the ditch of empty deceit. That work which Christ died for, it won't take place. While the gospel leads us to maturity in Christ, empty deceit will keep us immature at best and at its worst, even call, cause us to fall away from the faith. So friends, what we believe, what we truly believe and what we allow to shape us actually matters. It does. Please do not dismiss your personal growth in the gospel. Please do not make trite of the, the precious means of grace which God holds out to you so that you might grow to be like his son. Don't hold the work of the Spirit at arm's length away from you. Do not be conformed to this world, but instead, as Paul says in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewal of your mind and that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. In fact, that word at the end there, perfect, is the very same word that is translated in our passage in Colossians as mature. Church, this is what we are commanded to. So why would we turn to anything else? When in the Son of God who gives himself freely to us, in him is everything that we need for life and for godliness. See, the gospel, it must deeply inform our reality 
if we are to mature in Christ. So at this point, I think it's right to ask the question, what even is maturity? What does it look like for us to be mature? What I want us to see is that maturity is to live in wholehearted devotion to Christ. Uh, You may well have heard the illustration, which does in fact come from the Bible, that uh, is so often understood that what immature Christians need uh, is the milk of God's word. And then what the more mature among us need uh, is the meat of God's word. And the illustration is simple enough, right? Uh, There's a good reason why I am not yet cooking up a steak uh, for my daughter Olivia, who's just two months old now. Uh, She has no strength and no hand-eye coordination uh, and no teeth uh, to be able to consume that steak as she ought. Uh, Her digestive system, you know, has not yet developed enough to, to handle it and, you know, Fortunately for her, she doesn't know what she's missing out on yet, so she's okay. Uh, But So instead, we give her milk, don't we? Part of the absolute wonder of how God has designed the human body and in the miracle of new life, Olivia can get exactly what she needs from her mum. Babies drink milk and it is only as they grow and are more mature that they can begin to appreciate a good steak. But I think there's something wrong with how we have commonly applied this illustration to our Christian walk. Uh, Because we may, in fact, have misunderstood Paul's use of it uh, over in 1 Corinthians. Uh, So often I've heard that, you know, new Christians, they just need the milk of the gospel. The simple stuff, right? The death and resurrection of Jesus. And then when you're more mature, that's when you get to sink your teeth into the good stuff, you know, the meat of the word the more advanced things, you know, that only the mature can handle. But what does verse 6 and 7 of our passage say? Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, or continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Did you see that? That it doesn't say that as you receive Jesus, so walk in him until you're mature enough that you know you don't need the gospel anymore and then you can move on to better things. No, it says, as you received him in the gospel, keep walking in him. Live your life according to the riches of the glory of the gospel. Be continually rooted and built up in the Lord Jesus and established in the faith, just as you were taught. See, friends, we never move on from the gospel in our efforts towards maturity. And so this actually shows us what maturity isn't. Maturity isn't simply knowing your Bible really, really well. Maturity isn't having listened to every single one of R.C. Sproul's sermons. Maturity isn't thinking that you know Jesus is coming soon because of world affairs. Maturity isn't even simply being deeply convinced by Reformed theology. Now, don't get me wrong, I think Reformed theology is fantastic, precious even. The knowledge of God's sovereignty in our salvation is one of the truths that I deeply treasure and one that I think that I would die for. 
But those things in and of themselves does not mean that we are mature. No, maturity actually looks like wholehearted devotion to Christ. Why? Well, because just as Paul joyfully suffers to see the church grow in maturity in Christ, in the same breath he says in chapter 2, verse 2, that this great struggle is his ministry so that he would see our hearts encouraged and be knit together in love. And only then would we reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Which means that if in our pursuit of maturity we are not being knit together in love, then that is no maturity at all. Knowledge is not enough, church. Maturity is not simply moving on to deeper things in God's word. Maturity is wholehearted devotion to Christ, summed up by a deep and genuine love for one another. Paul, he warns us of this in another way in 1 Corinthians. He says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And that if he were to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, then he is nothing. Church, if we know our Bibles really well, if we know our theology inside and out, but have not love, then we are nothing. Because maturity is actually wholehearted devotion to Christ. Wholehearted devotion, which is marked by this deep and genuine love for one another. And also, this key thing you might have noticed in verse 7, that we abound in thanksgiving. That we abound in thanksgiving, that the one who is mature will not merely give mental assent to the truths of God's word, but is actually changed by them. That the truth and knowledge would actually produce joy in our hearts. That we would see God's grace and kindness towards us in the gospel and be humbled before him and be deeply thankful. For there is no room for pride and arrogance in the mature person. But that is so often what mere knowledge brings, doesn't it? It puffs us up. It makes us think less of others. It makes us grumpy because the world around us doesn't meet our standards. It makes us think that we actually deserve God's love because we know the right things. This is the ditch on the other side of the path to maturity, isn't it? On the one side, we saw the dangers of empty deceit, and on the other, we see pride and arrogance threatening to ruin us. And may it not be so of us, church. Rather, as we humbly receive the riches of the glory of the gospel in faith, may we pray that God's Holy Spirit would change our hearts and our minds in light of it and make us a joyful people. And that through it, we would grow more and more into the image of the beloved Son and live lives that are for his glory alone, abounding in thanksgiving. 
And so coming back to the illustration of the milk and the meat, uh, how might be a better way to understand this illustration? Well, let's think about how one might receive these two meals. As an infant, Olivia needs milk because it's uh, a palatable means for her to receive the nutrients that she needs. And so Stacy needs to feed it to her. But as she grows, she will grow into the ability to feed herself, won't she? Uh, at a certain age, and I will refrain from commenting on when that is, uh, it's somewhat awkward to still be breastfed, right? It's right and natural that one day Olivia would actually feed herself. And I think that's what the meat better signifies that the mature person in their increasingly wholehearted devotion to Christ is the one who is able to receive the gospel and to apply it to themselves rather than having to be spoon-fed it. That no longer do they need to be fed milk by their parent, but that they now have the ability to digest God's word and by the help of the Holy Spirit to apply it to their lives and to so be changed. The mature person will delight in God's word and actually have it animate them toward wholehearted devotion to Christ. But it is so important for all of us, every single one of us to remember that while we might be further along the path to maturity, And while we might have the ability to apply God's word to our lives and to be changed by the help of his spirit, there is none of us, not one single one of us, that has arrived at wholehearted devotion to Christ, have we? All of us, we are still divided in our loves, our affections. And so may we be careful not to think that we've arrived. Instead, might we be a humble people, still desperately relying on our Heavenly Father like a child and trust in Him to sustain us and to lead us on. For it's not until that final day when we see our Lord Jesus as He is that we will be made perfect like He is and then to have fully arrived at maturity. But in the meantime, may we still pursue that earnestly all the more. And so I wonder to what degree that marks us as a church here at GBC. Are we a people who are in earnest pursuit of thriving together in Christ and be marked by biblical maturity? centered on the gospel, knit together in love and abounding in thanksgiving. Might I encourage you to think about the crucial part that every single one of us has to play in making us that kind of church. Some things for us to consider that currently we have less than 35% of our regular people in the life of the church committed to a growth group. We have less than 50% of us who are members who have committed themselves in a formal way to the truths that unite us and to serve one another. 
And if you aren't one of those people, I don't mention this by, by any means to guilt trip you or to suggest that these things alone are silver bullets towards maturity, but simply to highlight that there are genuine and beautiful ways in which you can participate in the life of the church so that we all together might grow in maturity. And even that you might not just be here as, as a consumer, but that you would be helping your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to grow in maturity. Maybe this morning God has shown you that you're stuck in one of the ditches of either empty deceit or pride and arrogance. Can I encourage you to talk to someone about it? To confess your struggle, to ask that someone would pray with you that God might lift you up and set you afresh on that path to maturity. What a wonderful application of God's word that would be this morning. So as we bring this to a close, I want us to see the most compelling reason for the fruit of maturity. And indeed, it is Christ himself. If we look at verse 9 to 15, that first word that's there, for, could be better translated because. Why should we be rooted and built up, built up in the gospel? Why should we see that no one takes, is taken captive by empty deceit? Why should we be a church that wholly gives ourselves to the pursuit of maturity in Christ? Well, because in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You've been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set that aside. He nailed it to the cross. And he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and he has put them to open shame by triumphing over them. This is what our God has done for us, church. And in light of that, he is calling us together to thrive in Christ as mature believers as recipients of God's powerful saving work with new hearts filled with faith, compelled by the glory of the cross and captivated by the love of God, let us walk in him, knit together in love, abounding in thanksgiving and delighting in, in him because all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. It's only appropriate, isn't it, that we respond to his amazing grace with wholehearted devotion, striving towards maturity in him. Would you join me in prayer now for that very thing? And then we will share the Lord's Supper together. Gracious Father, thank you for all your loving kindness to us in your son, Jesus. 
Thank you that you are continuing to work out in us your glorious plan of salvation, making us more like your son and growing us up into maturity. Please would you do that more and more amongst us at GBC. May we be a people who are marked by maturity because we are deeply planted in Christ, because we are resolved to hold fast to him in the gospel and that through it we might stay on the path and not fall aside. We need you to do this work in us, Lord. And so please do it through the preaching of your word each week. Please do it as we share in the Lord's Supper together. Please do it as we have genuine fellowship with one another, whether it be in our growth groups or in other ways. We want to live lives of wholehearted devotion that glorify you. And so please make us more mature to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.